Before we look into God's words, let's pray together. You are worthy to be praised with my every thought and deed. O great God of highest heaven, glorify your name through us. Lord, open your word this morning, we pray by your Holy Spirit, that we may be challenged, encouraged, convicted, and perhaps converted to the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in his precious name. Amen. In John's Gospel, we are given seven signs that point us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning, I want us to look at the seventh sign. And this is, uh, marks the climax of the public ministry of Jesus. And it's, it reflects the ongoing conflict between Jesus and the authorities. And there's a storm about to break over Jesus' head. And John uses this special word, sign in the gospel and it's the only um, gospel that uses that word and from that word sign we derive the word semaphore you know semaphores flags that wave you remember Nelson he used some flags and what did he say quiz England expects every man Uh, on one occasion Nelson didn't see the flags do you know why he didn't see the semaphore he didn't see the signs He put his telescope up to the wrong eye, didn't he? In in the Battle of uh, Denmark. And he went ahead. I I see no ships. And he went straight into battle. But these signs are a signal. They're a message from John to his readers. And this is the message. This is what he wants us to see. And this is in John 20, verse 30 and 31. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Absolutely crucial. That is crucial. And anyone who says or teaches or or practices that Jesus is not the Christ, the Son of the living God, is false teaching. Just look at the history of the church and see how many people. Look at cults today, other religions that say Jesus is a great man. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that believing we may have life in his name. And this is the good news of the gospel. John's first sign was shown um, when Jesus was at the family home in Cana of Galilee. It was a family affair, a wedding in a home, full of joy and happiness. The last sign is again in a family setting, but very different. A situation of sickness, sadness and stress. A a face-to-face encounter with the final life experience, death. Death is such a taboo subject. When I was young, and when some of you, when there was a funeral and the, and the hearse went down the road, what did you do? Pulled the curtains, and you stood, and as the hearse went by, is that correct? Not so long ago, I was driving along the road, and there was a, a funeral procession in front of me, car behind me, pulls out, went screaming down the road, overtakes, pulls straight in front of the hearse. Death is a taboo subject. It's the undeniable fact, the ultimate statistic, one out of one die. A certainty. 
John Maynard Keynes, the uh, economist, said, in the long run, we are all dead. Death is the enemy we try to avoid. We delay it as long as possible. We sweep it under the carpet with euphemisms. It's the pay packet at the end of life. Do you remember what Paul said in Romans? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So in this seventh sign, Jesus confronts death, both physical and spiritual, and pronounces another of his monumental I am. Aren't they lovely, the I ams of John's Gospel? I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the bread of life. And here we have this wonderful reassurance. I am the resurrection and the life. And we'll look at that a little bit later. So here we have in, the, in chapter 11, three scenes. Scene one, over the Jordan River. Scene two, near Bethany. And scene three, at the tomb. Well, let's look at scene one. And this is verses one to 16. And to put the whole chapter in context, um, back in ch chapter 10, verse 22, when Jesus was teaching, the Jews said, these are, um, sorry, then came the Feast of Dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter. Jesus is in the temple area. The Jews gathered round him and said, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus says, I and the Father are one. And the Jews picked up stones to stone him. They said, this is blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. And so Jesus then left Jerusalem. He went down to Jericho, crossed over the Jordan into this area called Perea. And it was here that Jesus received this news. And the news was, Lord, the one you love is sick. Lazarus, whose name means God is my helper, was very sick. And Martha and Mary sent news to Jesus about this situation. A couple of days it would have taken for this news to reach Jesus. So it was, there was a request for Jesus to return to Bethany. Bethany, a small village, just about two miles from Jerusalem. It was a place where Jesus loved to go. And listen to what John says. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He frequently went there when he was in the preaching, preaching in the Jerusalem area. And Mary is the lady who, in chapter 11, she went and took an expensive jar of perfume. You could say like Chanel number no. 5. And she poured it over Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with a hair. What a, a wonderful display of love and affection, warmth and tenderness, humble adoration, regardless of the response that she felt would happen, and it did. Why she done this? She took some stick for her act of love and devotion. So the message is, Lord, the one you love is sick. And in some ways, the world is sick, isn't it? 
The world is sick with the contagion called sin. So there's a request and then there's a response from Jesus. And the response is quite surprising. The response is, um, in verse 14, Lazarus is dead and for your sake I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. Quite a surprising response. Jesus said he's already dead but this is for the glory of God. And then, even perhaps more surprising, there is a respite for Jesus. Yet when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. So it took two days for the message to read him. He stayed there two days more, and then there'd be another two days for him to return. Six days in all. So it wasn't a good prognosis for Lazarus that Jesus stayed two more days. God's timing is always right. It can be hard, it may be difficult to understand or accept. When we lived in Zambia, we um, heard the news uh, that my father had died. We heard that news before we received a letter saying he had inoperable cancer and it was a, a huge shock just suddenly out of the blue, see, here my father had died. And so I couldn't do anything about it. But in God's good timing, I got a flight home, and after the funeral, all my four other siblings went to their homes, but I had the opportunity to stay for a couple of weeks, and that was such an important time to help my mother and get things sorted out. God's timing is always correct, is always the best. You may not feel it at the time, you may doubt it, but when you look back, you will see that God's timing is best. God is faithful in all things, and God is good. God is good all the time. So Jesus waited for the correct time to return over the Jordan to Bethany. You might have thought that um, he would have rushed back, but no. And he says, for your sake, that you may believe. And John uses that word believe 90 times in the gospel. Believe what? Believe what the six signs are pointing to. Believe what the semaphore is saying. Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, the saviour. Some people come to believing faith in Jesus through um, the fire of waiting, of pain, of loss, of illness, of persecution. And think of our brothers and sisters who today are persecuted. Particularly, I'm thinking of Iran and Iraq. And you know, the church in Iran and Iraq has grown more in these last 20 or 30 years than it has over hundreds. Think of the church in Nepal today. In the early 50s, there were literally a handful of believers in Nepal. Now, there's a large church, okay, under persecution. They've changed the laws there, so it makes it more difficult to be a Christian. Think of what's happening in China. Do you know, there was a, the Chinese government made an estimate that by about 2030 or so, there would be 300 million Christians in China. And the Chinese government is really frightened because they think, well, when the 300 million Christians, they're going to take the country over. And so that's why they've really cracked down on the church at the moment. 
And recently a letter came from China from a pastor writing to the Chinese government saying, we're not a threat to you, but if you change the war laws that contradict the Bible and deny the Bible, we will, I will meekly oppose it because Jesus is my king. Jesus is an open letter. It was actually tremendous. He's in prison now and who knows what will happen to him. But in the fires of persecution, people are tested. And Martha and Mary and the disciples were tested. Jesus didn't immediately respond. But I do love Thomas's comment. What do we know Thomas as? What's Thomas's nickname? Doubting Thomas. But listen to this. Then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go back to Bethany that we may die with him. Now, isn't that lovely? You know, he, it reminds me too about Peter. Peter denied him. And then afterwards, what does it say? And all the other, and left, and all the other disciples too. Thomas, I'm going to go back. Even though I might go into death, I'm, I'm, I love you, Lord Jesus. I'm going to follow you back over the, over the Jordan to Bethany. So that was scene one. Scene two is near Bethany. And that's verses 17 to 37. Lazarus has been dead four days. Jews from Jerusalem are with Martha and Mary. When we were in Zambia, one day we heard this awful, awful noise, this wailing, and, and it was absolutely terrible. We just didn't know what it was. It was a hopelessness. And we found out that one of our neighbours' family had died, and there was this dreadful noise of mourning, wailing, <coughs> hopelessness. Okay, here in our country, we are not visibly, audibly demonstrative at funerals. We tend often, and I think it's one of the most popular at funerals, Frank Sinatra's song, isn't that sad? Isn't that, isn't that pathetic? I don't mean uh, pathetic, I mean, it's sad, pathetic. I did it my way. Or they have favorite pop music. I went to one not so long ago, they had um, Barcelona. I thought, oh, it's so sad. Because death, there is emptiness and despair. It's covered by platitudes and euphemisms and passed away. But Jesus comes back and faces death face on, full on. Jesus meets Martha and she's not accusing Jesus um, for his slow return. But it's a factual, if you had been here, uh, my brother would not have died. There's a little bit of sadness there, but also there's a tinge of hope. Jesus says, uh, Martha says, um, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last. She didn't know that he will rise again in a few hours. Within a few hours, he'd be uh, risen alive. Jesus, Martha took the general view about what the Pharisees had. That there is a general resurrection. However, Jesus transforms the future in those amazing words, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. 
Do you believe this? Jesus says to Martha. The word of God says to us. Do you believe this? Do you believe that there is life in Jesus? Tasker comments on these words. I think they're just great. Um, death is perpetually corroding and disintegrating life. Isn't that? Death is perpetually corroding and disintegrating life. This fatal disease is common, universal, worldwide. But Jesus is about to overcome death in the case of Lazarus, but more so for everyone on the cross shortly. And it's just wonderful what Jesus actually brings Listen to what the writer of the Hebrew says. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too, Jesus, shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. And Jesus breaks that fear because he's the resurrection and the life and it's a challenge today to us do we believe that do we truly believe it as we perhaps lie on our deathbeds or we may not have that privilege of having a deathbed we might get involved in an accident or whatever do we really believe that that Jesus is the resurrection and the life and the best is truly yet to come. So Martha scuttles back to Mary and says, the master is here. Mary leaves the house, comes to see Jesus, and she falls at his feet before the one she loves. And she says the same as Martha, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. If only, if only, dangerous words, if only, oh, if only I'd done that. If only I'd done the other. I don't know. I, questions. Do you remember what Peter said to Jesus? To whom can we go? For you have the words of eternal life. No one else. Take your if only. Take your questions to Jesus. Because there's no eternal life elsewhere. No one. Confucius, Buddha, Muhammad, Hinduism... It's only Jesus who has the words of eternal life. And Jesus responds to Martha and Mary. He weeps and his spirit is moved and troubled. The Lord was indignant at the work of sin and its resultant death. There's also an element of anger at the devil and because he's at the root of it all. And his sorrow was felt for this much-loved family. He sheds his tears. Jesus, you know it's the shortest verse in the Bible. John 11:35. Jesus wept. That tells us he feels for them. He feels for us today. He knows where we are. He knows our circumstances. He feels for us. We have a high priest who is sympathetic to us. He knows us through and through. And then the final scene, scene three, at the tomb. Jesus, deeply moved, came to the tomb. 
and he tells them, move the stone. And then this lovely practical Martha, he stinketh. Well, naturally, if you work out the days, he'd already been in the tomb two days. So decay had already started. There would have been a right pong. And so Martha says, no, you can't do that. Jesus' response is, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Jesus lifted up his eyes and prayed to his heavenly Father and prayed that the hearers may believe. Then as John Calvin says, as a champion who prepares for conflict, Jesus calls out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And I just love it when John says, and the dead man came out. That's brilliant. The dead man came out. Dead men don't walk. Dead men don't tell tales. But Lazarus had a wonderful tale to tell. He came out bound. He is released from his grave clothes. Who does he see first? Jesus. What a wonderful thing. And as we go into death, those of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, as we go through the valley of the shadow of death, the first person we will see is Jesus. How will we know it's Jesus? We'll tell him by the nail prints in his hands. And of course, Jesus being, uh, Lazarus being raised from the dead is a trailer, a taster of Jesus' resurrection, which was to come literally in a few days after this. All these signs and um, semaphores are something which Paul points out to us is that we should take notice of because of let me just read you what Paul says. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. <coughs> hope. He's called you to hope. The hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparable great power for us who believe that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted when he raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. And of course, that's where Jesus is today, at the right hand in the heavenly realms, making intercession for us. Lazarus would die at some point in the future, but when Jesus rose from the dead, he lives forever and ever. There's another great shout which is going to come. It's not Lazarus come forth. It's a great shout and a great trumpet. And all the dead will be gathered together. All the dead in the seas and the oceans, in the graves across the continents, scattered ashes around the globe, and the dead in Christ will rise first. There is a day coming 
when all the dead in Christ will rise, because the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and the voice of the archangel and with a trumpet calling of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Isn't that a prospect? Doesn't that excite you? He might come today. <coughs> Your lunch is maybe cooking at home. Today he might come. Tomorrow he might come. We don't know. But come he is. We neither know the time, the date. Only the Father knows that. But he is coming. And I just l l would love the thought that he's going to come before I die. I think as Woody Allen says, I don't mind... Um, I don't mind dying, it's just I don't want to be there when it happens. And I think that reflects what a lot of people say, think. But when we're in Christ, when we're in Christ, we need not fear. Lo, I am with you always to the end of the world. I am the good shepherd. When you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will be with you. Lazarus went into the tomb it's interesting, they laid him. Jesus, they've laid him. They didn't say bury him. Laid him. Because he knew he was going to lift them up again. We will, one day, unless Jesus comes, be put into a box. But that's just us. But in the future, we have a new body which will join our spirit. And we'll be with the Lord forever. So, Jesus here in the gospel, the end result is actually a bit sad because what do some people do? Verses 45 following, some, some of them put their faith in him, but some went to the Pharisees and told them what had happened. Jesus in the gospels and in history and today divides people into sheep and goats wheat and chaff, believers and unbelievers. The signs divided people into those who believe and those who did not. And today the sign of Lazarus will divide us. Some of us will believe and some will not. Where are you? Are you those who believe and have life in the Lord Jesus Christ? Or haven't you decided yet? Are you still sitting on the fence? Don't sit on the fence. It's uncomfortable. Get off it and follow Jesus. And because of this resurrection, because of this wonderful fact that Jesus has destroyed him who holds the power of death, ultimately we are on the victory side. Listen to what Paul says. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with, the immortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But <coughs> thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, 
My dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Why? Because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Your labour in the Lord is not in vain. You are sowing seeds. God will water and God will give the increase. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. I hope that you'll be challenged and committed to give yourselves fully to the Lord Jesus Christ, to the one who loved us and gave himself for us. God bless you, and may, he, may you know his grace and power and love day by day in your life.